Welcome to Failing Forward. Today we're going to hear from Teofil Twahirwa, who's talking about what they learned in Rwanda on the importance of gender equality in women's economic empowerment. It's not enough to just invest in women and their savings, but thinking more broadly about the system they operate in. Teofil, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you introduce yourself for the audience? Thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'm called Teofil Twahirwa. I work for Care International in Rwanda as the head of knowledge learning and uh, opportunities management. You're joining us today to talk about how we learn from failure, we learn from what's not working. Why is it important for us to do that? Understanding what doesn't work actually brings new knowledge and informs the future programming. So talk to us about Indasha Kirwa is the project you were working on, but it's actually based in several previous projects. I'm learning from more than a decade of working in PSLAs in this way. Talk to us about the context of that and how this work first got started. So we had like two teams, the Women Economic Empowerment uh, team that was implementing VSL and uh, other activities, entrepreneurship, financial inclusion, financial linkage. On the other side, we had a program team that was implementing other projects related to HIV AIDS, others addressing adult functional literacy, others working on the human rights, women's social empowerment. At the time we started talking about the gender equality framework, and we wanted to integrate it to VSL programming, the feedback from the Women Economic Empowerment team was that if we integrate gender, then we are going to disrupt the concentration and the performance of the VSL there were a lot of great successes. What were some of the things that went wrong? We were implementing different programs in a parallel way. We were implementing the VSL programming on one side, and we're implementing the GBV prevention, family planning, and other programs separate. And it seemed that the other programs were really integrating gender because they are focusing on HIV uh, family planning. And the VSL programming was really uh, tremendously gender blind. And we also had a case where we had not yet initiated a conversation, gender equality and diversity conversation in the country office for all our program staff to understand the gender and the implication of not integrating gender in the VSL programming. And by introducing this, learning by doing, ensuring that uh, these women economic empowerment pro- program staff, they are going through the, uh, the gender programming, understanding gender programming, and then ensuring they are buying in, they understand the implication of this. So it helped addressing the resistance that was there, that if you integrate uh, gender in VSL programming, then uh, the VSL groups are going to be disrupted, interrupted, and the VSL programming was not going to perform that. So we recommended really to do a thorough analysis. And um, the recommendation from that thorough analysis was that CARE International in Rwanda needed to come up with a, a gender integration a strategy to VSL programming. That research and that understanding that you needed to do more integration is through 2013. What happened next? Clear that we needed to integrate gender into VSL programming. We realized that actually men were somehow influencing almost all the decisions in the household, but also the decisions in the VSL uh, group transactions, even though 75% of the VSL group members were women. So we found out that this woman, uh, when it happens to finding money to save, the husband was providing. When it comes to how much to request as a loan, the husband was influencing. And when it comes to what to do with the loan from the VSL, the money was given to the husband to do a number of activities. And then when it comes to paying back the loan, 
the husband was providing. By relying on VSL MIS information, you could conclude that uh, Women Economic Empowerment Program was doing a great job, and this woman is really economically empowered, which was wrong when we look at the findings from the gender analysis. So we decided to uh, come up with a, a new approach of bringing men together in order to support women economic empowerment. So at that time, we were working with the Rwanda Men's Resource Center, which is known for engaging men's strategies and promoting positive masculinity. We also had the information from KUSA that there is an organization called Promundo that was also promoting men engaged and positive masculinity. So we brought these two organizations together and we designed an approach we call it Journeys of Transformation. Journeys for Transformation because we wanted to have this husband and the, and the wife together through a series of trainings. We designed a 17 uh, topics training, couple training together, and which tackled a number of issues that were really affecting women empowerment, such as the use of power, like power over, and then promoting power with or power within, and then other approaches that were really tackling the issues of uh, joint decision-making at the household level and the benefits men actually get when they support women economic empowerment. So we piloted the journeys of transformation. And then after the pilot, we evaluated how it worked. Findings were that it was having positive results at the household level and at the community. And uh, we decided to really expand, uh, scale up the journeys of transformation. At that time, we were working together with um, the DFID, the current FCDO, discussing unsolicited um, funding because they wanted to invest in GBV prevention in Rwanda. And we managed to convince them that the journey's transformation approach can actually reduce intimate partner violence in a way that positive results can be visible at the household level and at the community level. So DFID decided to appoint two independent consultants to evaluate the journeys of transformation. We facilitate them to go to the field, talk to these women and supporting the idea, but recommending BFID to allow a six month inception uh, period so that we can adjust the topics considering the lessons we learned from uh, piloting the journeys of transformation. That's how we came up with the industry children program. That's how we, it started from the gender analysis in the VSL programming and then piloted the journeys of transformation under GWEP funded by NOLAT, and then scaled up to Indashi Chiriba, which is, was funded by uh, DFID. So the gender gap analysis that was conducted in the VSL programming, it really enabled us to understand the gaps that were in the VSL programming. And by not addressing gender, we were not going to achieve the women economic empowerment that was anticipated. So that's how I can summarize what was wrong in the programming because the two programs were not talking to each other while actually they could complement each other. And I think that's, that's pretty common. We hear a lot, oh, if you, if you try to put this gender stuff in, you're going to disrupt the real program. You're going to disrupt the finances. You're going to disrupt the agriculture. Why is that such a common reaction? In 2010, the gender programming was not uh, well understood across the confederation because this is the time we started receiving the frameworks like gender equality framework, like um, the discussion that culminated into the, the gender marker, which we are using now uh, for the design, but also for the implementation of the, of the program. So on the side of the, the country office programming, 
it was not really intentional to make sure that gender is integrated in the whole programming in the country office. So that was one. Number two was that uh, the program staff uh, skills in gender programming was almost not there. With the lessons from that, uh, that period, I think it has to depart from the country office senior program management to understand the critical issues that we need to integrate in the program, whether it is gender or climate resilience and other programming, and then guide our project staff on how to integrate this. And what are some specific examples? Getting support from uh, the KUSA uh, SLH team, we, we were introducing the social analysis and the action in the country office. And there are some of the tools where we, we used at that time, like uh, the pilot sorting, which actually involves bringing these women and men together, and then ask them to list all the household chores men do from the morning up to evening, and then the list of activities uh, women do from morning up to evening. The observation quickly was that men actually observed that these women, they were doing a lot of activities which could actually have an implication uh, to them, either of getting old very quickly, and this had an implication that some of these women, they could actually drop these women and go to find out new uh, young women. And the other uh, tool we used was the bid game. The bid game, the reason why it was introduced, we learned from the community members that there are some of the women who are being persecuted because of giving birth to only female children. We had cases of uh, a woman who was, has really been going through this uh, oppression and she had nine female children. And the purpose of this bed game was actually to let men understand that it's not women who determine the sex of the children, it's actually men. So one of the findings from the focus group discussion, they are men who decided to, to disclose the situation they were going through some of them showing the, the, the bank accounts with the money that they were hiding in the banks and then the women were not aware of that. And some of the men revealing that how they have been passive, uh, oppressing the women of not giving marriage child. And they realized that actually it's their fault. It's not the fault of these women. So some of them decided to go for vasectomy, which was being introduced by the Minister of Health uh, in Rwanda. It was really um, a game changer in terms of uh, including gender in our programming. And then we also realized that some of the women who are engaged in VSL groups, some of them, they have the talent to quickly come up with the idea of um, developing income generating activities. And then there are some of the cases where men, after observing that these women are making uh, some money, the responsibilities of men providing for the, uh, for the households uh, say for the children education, they were really giving all that responsibilities to women and then uh, misusing the resources uh, they used to provide for the households into alcohol abuse and other activities that were having implications back on the women and affecting the household harmony. We had cases where these women who are developing, coming up with uh, income generating activities some of them, after coming up with businesses that are bringing household income, some of the other women who are influencing them to change the dressing codes, or the cases of other men who are bullying peer men, for them being involved in household chores, while actually there were wives, they were outside their homes running businesses. 
And um, we had cases of uh, the conflicts where this woman running a business outside their home, coming home late after running their businesses, or some of the women, because of the economic empowerment, being trusted by community members and electing them as the local authorities. Some of them were, were facing conflicts after coming back home in the household. So we realized that these are really the consequences that were directly resulting from our interventions. So we, we, we decided to take them seriously and integrate them into, into the, pro, the program staff reflection sessions and deciding on what to do. And that's how we came up with the idea of bringing these men on board, actually to understand the types of dynamics that are going to change at the household level when these women are empowered, when these women, they have businesses, when these women are elected as the local authorities, because the roles that the society was giving, uh, was giving them, it was going to be changed as a result of this empowerment. So the idea was for these women to understand the changes that are going to happen and for the men to understand the changes and discussing together how they want to, to run their households and ensure that they live in harmony even after this economic empowerment of women. It's such an interesting example of how, and you said at the beginning, if you rely solely on the financial data, or even if you rely on data like are women getting elected to office or not, you're still only seeing part of the picture. Women and men have entire lives. And if you're only looking at a tiny slice of it, you might not be seeing all of the impacts that happen. What does it look like? Are there any examples for you of what this has meant in your own life? The stories I mentioned earlier about these women who are persecuted because of uh, giving birth to female children, and then these men who are hiding the uh, household's productive assets or resources without making sure that these women, they also share the same resources. I remember we discussed with some of these men and we said, you are in this training today, and for you to come to this training venue, how do you, how do you, what are the transport means do you use? And then the man said, took a motor taxi, and then said, I will even took, take a motor taxi when I go back home. And we said, when you are using this type of transport, anytime you might face an accident. So imagine if during the way you are going back home, there is an accident and probably uh, you lose your life. So all these resources on the bank accounts and the other things you are you are hiding, your children, your wife, they are not going to really access them. So the, the, the stories were really shocking to the extent that when I reached home, I initiated a conversation with, uh, with my wife. And the idea was to make sure that she understands that I'm open to this type of conversation. If she observes anything that was really going wrong home, as a result of my behavior or practice or decision, I gave her the, the green light to really ask the question during the household uh, dialogue. So it was really a game changer, even in my life. And when I started sharing these stories with my neighbors here in the, in the capital city of Chigali, I actually, we discussed that the, the similar stories that were happening even in Chigali city. So integrating gender is not only in our programming in the rural communities, as we thought it was the case, but we were living the same situation. That's how we decided at CARE among our staff to initiate quarterly gender equality and diversity reflections 
with the program team and the program support team and finance people who are not hearing these stories for us to, to really use these stories as a wake-up call because most of these cases can also happen to the household of people who are so-called intellectuals. So that's how these stories, they really helped me to change the situation in my household and can say that my wife is now open to tell me what they discussed with the other women and what we need to change in the way we are running our household. And that's so important that it's often easy to think of ourselves. I know I do this as I'm an expert and this is a problem someone else has that I'm going to solve. But we're all in the same communities and the same society and, and we often repeat those challenges ourselves without necessarily thinking about it. So thank you for sharing that example. So if you could do it all over again, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Considering what I shared earlier, I think what uh, I can do differently as someone who is involved in the proposal design, who has the responsibility to actually initiate these program reflection meetings, for me, I think the starting point is to make sure that we are identifying the different types of uh, skills or capacities we need in the country office and initiate the capacity building of program staff. In this case, we could have uh, organized capacity building sessions, uh, for example, for the Women Economic Empowerment Program earlier and go through the gender programming framework or how to conduct gender analysis as part of the regular monitoring the monitoring staff were involved in. And uh, actually, it also raised an issue of how we monitor the assumption we actually include in the, in the rock frames. We are consistent now in terms of applying the gender marker when we do the proposal design. And this was not the case in the, in the past. And they actually appreciate what CARE has done in terms of developing this uh, gender marker or inclusive governance marker or resilience markers and actually uh, orienting all the country office staff on how, to, on how to use them. And then conducting gender analysis as part of the program design, uh, sometimes we skip this process. Actually, it is a critical process, whether it is a development uh, project proposal or whether it is a humanitarian project proposal, really consistently conducting this um, uh, gender analysis. And when we, you, you define good tools, good questions, the community members, they will give you the information that can uh, uh, help you to come up with a really a quality, uh, a quality proposal. And then the other thing I can do differently, for example, I imagine that some of the program staff were hearing some of these stories from the community, but still saying that if we integrate gender, this was going to disrupt the performance of women economic empowerment. So what I can do differently now is encouraging all the staff to bring back all the program quality issues they hear from the community and then give them during the program meeting to reflect on them and identify the implication of these issues and how they can affect the program sustainability. Really encouraging them, if there is something wrong, just to bring it in the discussion, whether it is wrong on the side of care, on the side of a partner, or on the side of a community volunteers or program participants, just to bring it in the discussion, and we need to discuss it with all honest and really take action. And when you do this consistently, definitely some of these issues we are not aware of when we do the, the proposal design, they will come up from the community volunteers and the program participants. And the other thing is to ensure that 
the beneficiary feedback and the complete mechanism is really working. When you are working in the communities, most of the people that are trusted by the community members, if I refer to the case of Rwanda, uh, the community members, they really trust care staff and they are open to share with the care staff any issues affecting the programming. So really having um, a well-functioning beneficiary feedback and complaint mechanism is really crucial. Building on this learning, we have actually designed, decided in the country office to digitalize the beneficiary feedback and complaint mechanism. And we are planning to launch it in December this year, a digital feedback and complaint mechanism. And we expect to have excellent interaction with the program participants in the field. To some extent, you have done this again. Since the journeys of transformation work, you've done Inda Shakirwa, you're now working in a project that tries to scale that, that's thinking about how to do that more broadly. Are there any challenges you're still facing or any lessons you've been able to bring forward? I feel personally as someone who is, who is interacting with different people, I still feel that among staff, partner staff, we still have a lot of implicit knowledge, what I can call it. And I feel that if we give, we really establish different platforms for program staff, for partner staff to really um, share the information they have, we'll be able to bring all this information into explicit knowledge. And this is going to help us a lot in terms of uh, uh, shaping our programming. I'm happy on about what we have initiated in the, in the country office, the reflections we are having, the gender equality and diversity reflection sessions we are organizing. But I still feel that we need to make sure that these stakeholders, they have enough platforms to share what they know about our programming and what they are recommending that needs to, uh, needs to change. And one thing you talked about at the beginning is how important it is for the staff to understand the gender work and to do that personal reflection. And particularly for extension agents, if they're still thinking about the gender work as disrupting their work, that continues to be a barrier. As new people join, or as you start new projects and you have to bring in new partners and new staff, how do you think about making sure they also learn that and they come along with the journey? Uh, currently, what we are doing, we, during the induction phase of, um, of the new staff, we provide all the necessary information regarding how the, the program is managed at care, and then specifically first focusing on the project they are going to manage. But uh, there are different ways of uh, interacting with other program staff in the organization. We try to establish connections. How are you going to work with the knowledge management and learning unit and the staff? And what do they expect from you? This is the, uh, sharing the information about what you are collecting from the uh, project participants or from the partners and the information you feel that it needs to be discussed in the country office. And then in some of the settings, there are staff who are sitting in the partner organization's office. We are also orienting them how to, to really encourage the partner staff they are working together on a daily basis to feel comfortable to open up a discussion and sharing what they are observing from, uh, from the field. And then we also share with them how we define the learning in the country office. By explaining this, they actually learn on how the model was developed by one project and then scaled up by another project. And we say the successful models, that the models that are proven successful now, they could be expired tomorrow. 
and they, they need to be adjusted. So the information we needed to either adjust them or come up with the new intervention models, this, we explained to the new staff on how this works. And the principle with our programming in Rwanda, we say that the intervention models uh, we are coming up with, they have to be grounded within the communities and honored by the communities. And then the projects they are helping to transfer the knowledge, the skills, and the tools to the community members. What's one action you'd recommend to other implementers, other people at CARE, based on your experiences? My recommendation would be really uh, simple. They need to, to include regular community or program participants' reflections as part of the monitoring frameworks. Sometimes when you look at the project frameworks, we feel uh, that to some extent we fail to collect useful qualitative information, qualitative data, and yet this is what the information that you need to really understand or to explain why quantitative indicators, they reach a certain level, and what you need to change. That's incredible that the one recommendation is make sure you're listening to the communities and make sure you're doing it often. If you had to sum up your key learning in one sentence, what would it be? Having an intentional learning agenda. Having this learning agenda, it actually enables you to influence policy dialogues. And this is how we really managed to use the lessons from uh, this integration of gender into VSL programming. We managed to influence the national financial inclusion education policy. That's incredible. Thank you for participating in the podcast today. Really lovely to learn from you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share what we are doing in, uh, in Rwanda. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned next time to listen to Experiences in Care Jordan about looking at cost-benefit analysis and not just whether or not something is a low-cost intervention, but whether or not it's really working.